everyone, and welcome to the King Kong Minute Podcast. This is the show where we analyze, scrutinize, and celebrate the 2005 film King Kong one glorious minute at a time. My name is Steven. And I'm Terry. And today we are going to be delving into minute 28, minute number 28. It's where uh, it begins with Hayes saying, uh, this is where I found Jimmy, or, well, this is where I found him, but we're talking about Jimmy. And it ends with a wide shot of the venture at sea. So... Man, ain't she a beauty? She is not, but I love her anyway. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's a beauty in the way like a rusty '65 Mustang you see driving down the road. She has got it where it counts. <laughs> what a piece of junk! I know I've made that joke before, but I'm gonna keep doing it. It's it's just what you say, guys. <laughs> All right. You got anything to start with? I do. If you don't, um, I mean, I will do. I'll I kind of pick up where we left <laughs> off last time, where okay. I'm saying. That some people have criticized Hayes' exposition on Jimmy as being clunky, but I, I honestly think it makes sense. As I said, mm-hmm. Hayes is Jimmy's father figure, and much as a parent does, he's explaining why Jimmy is the way he is to sort of try to give some reasoning for, you know, the theft, the wrongdoing here. Sure. It's very much what a parent does. Yes. I really love the implied loneliness of the cinematography in this scene, um, specifically okay. the shot of Hayes looking down the long end of the corridor. Sure. Um, it almost feels like this unspoken implication. It's like the shot of the first time Hayes laid eyes on Jimmy. It's like yeah. almost from Jimmy's perspective. I could say. see that. I, I didn't think about it that way, but you are absolutely right. And um, uh, I'd be surprised if that wasn't in the uh, director of photography's mind or Jackson's mind, one of the two. I would they, really uh, hope so. When they put it together. Um, the music also just works really effectively here. Um, Brody, even though he doesn't say anything, past this point you can definitely tell that like he's affected mm-hmm. by this information for sure um and of course i gotta wonder where did jimmy come from <laughs> where did you come from oh. um <laughs> i'm sorry no i i think what's implied here <clears throat> if if i can step out here um i would definitely say some kind of abusive situation no yeah um maybe a rough orphanage would be my guess. If, like, the first thing in my head, given the clues, it's just a rough orphanage he just had to get away from. Could mm-hmm. be totally wrong here. Could be he's the sending kid. out messages to the Dark Brotherhood to try and kill... Uh, <laughs> what's her name? Grelod the wa- uh, the Kind? Grelod the Kind. <laughs> <laughs> some some of you will get that reference. Skyrim Minute. <laughs> it's not really a movie. I don't know how you do a movie. We're gonna do it! We're doing it! <laughs> <laughs> I've made the commitment. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, like easily we get in, into it, an abusive relationship mm-hmm. or an abusive situation of some kind. Um, likely in the United States, Jimmy is American. So at some point that the venture had docked likely at New York again. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, again, we can't confirm, but it seems likely. Yeah. Um, arm broken in two places. Do you think that was from trying to get on the venture or was his arm broken before he got on board? Um, that was kind of where my, uh, the thought of abuse came from for me, but, um, I suppose it, it could have been from some desperate attempt to get on the ship as it was like taken mm. off or something, leaving port. I don't know. Mm. And well, I mean, I don't know if we can intuit anything from the time, but four years prior to this would have been 1929. Okay. Um, so that is closing in on the stock market crash, right? Which was what, October? Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, and this this movie takes ever. place September. Yes. So yeah, that could be. It would be approximately four years. Yeah. Um And again, like I don't know. It I don't know if I want to tie everything in this to like reasons related to the depression, but I don't know, maybe it was that sudden advent of things that made things suddenly so bad that he decided to do the most one of the most drastic things you could and just up and stow away on a random ship. Right. Well, like Hayes said, wherever he's from, it wasn't any place good, so he had mm-hmm. to get out. Um, something a little bit later on, the fact that Jimmy shows enough interest that he, like, on his own, um, got a hold of a book to read to try and help educate himself. Yeah. Um, we can at least read a little bit more into his, uh, backs, his background. He is educated enough that he is literate. Yeah, that's um, true. That would imply schooling of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um... Again, I think that rely, that uh, lends a little more credence to the theory that he was originally from New York. Um, at th- New York at the time had one of the better like uh, public schooling systems of just about anywhere in the United States. Okay. Um, it had the most often regulated uh, and just well supplied public schooling systems, and the fact that in the 1930s, like it was a si- even a sizable metropolis even then, and just by nature of its location, um, had greater resources and access to ports where the, like other resources could be obtained. Sure. Um, so that's my two bit yeah, that's, on this side character's backstory. I think that's fair. Um, I also, I have to wonder, you know, it's our job as a minute by minute <clears throat> podcasters, but yeah. did Peter Jackson even mean for us, for anyone to go this deep into his backstory or was it just like, this is where he is now. And that's, what's important. I, within, like, with exceptions, I don't think any director, even as deeply as involved as they are in the films, intended for anyone to go as deeply as MXM has. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually fair. And yet we're doing it. Yeah, that's that's fair. Peter Jackson, I, I mean, I think I think that's exactly what Jimmy was supposed to be. It's just like, you are where you are with Jimmy, and just because, you know, you have an interesting backstory, you might not get to know it, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You just, this is where you are. It is interesting for me that the role of Jimmy was specifically created for Jamie Bell. Yeah. Um, and it's like, there's more that I would like to know about that. Um, another thought that I had was, uh, obviously, so from Jimmy's background, we can like infer that he's literate, which infers some level of schooling and education. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if he had, the reason he decided to stow away is because he always has had a kind of like fantasy about being a sailor or working on a tramp steamer. Like, Not like that would be super unusual. No, and would that all... I mean, that if we're going with the New York theory, that would almost imply that he was being raised somewhere clo- maybe close to New York Harbor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just musing about that, if we work with these assumptions, would indicate you know, at least a little bit clearer image of exactly who Jimmy is. Yeah. There's a bunch to um, it. What's funny, because yeah. with those couple lines, he gets more backstory than Hayes has. Yeah, which is really sad because I like I it wouldn't have been too hard to drop in the detail that Hayes is a World War One veteran. Sure, which um, is I think heavily probable, if not like planned. Oh, uh, is yeah. it confirmed? Is it a thing? Oh, it it is absolutely confirmed. It's on his wiki page. Oh, see there you go, King Kong wiki. Um, yep, he is a World War One vet. Um, gotcha. and I I think it would have been super easy to um jumping ahead a little bit, but the scene where he and Lumpy and Jimmy are confronting Denim, um, could have been some reference 
to when Hayes is telling his story. It's like it wasn't long after the war. Um, or See, I don't even remember just, that. <laughs> it's like wasn't long. Uh, like it wasn't long after um, like discharge. Gotcha. Basically, like it, it, like one line, and it could have heavily implied uh, his uh, his war service. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, guys, Hayes is my favorite character. <laughs> By proxy, Jimmy is going to be heavily favored as well. Sure. So, I, I I really focus on these guys. Yeah, and I mean someone has to. Mm-hmm. I think I what I find interesting because obviously you're you're my co-host here, and so I'm I'm quite interested in your opinion of this film, or else I you know we uh-huh. wouldn't be doing this. But I find it interesting that I feel like when this came out, a lot of the critics were like, "Why do they matter? Like they're yeah they're you know you could have cut them out, and the movie would be you know the exact same." I think you got a lot of people who said that. So I find it interesting that they have their mm-hmm. fan base, even if it is small. Yeah. Well, to paraphrase Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai, what could be more necessary? I mean, this, I mean, I, I'm a big storyteller myself. I'm a writer. I'm a DM um, for Dungeons and Dragons, just for my friends. And it's the little things like this mm-hmm. that really bring a world to life. And sure. Jackson is renowned for world building. And I got to admire that. It's these characters that are living and breathing making their own conscious character choices absolutely independent of what happens of the main plot and the main events Mm -hmm. and yet like they are here and you are privy to their inner thoughts like this like it what makes it feel alive and it's what i think raises the stakes of what happens because these are real people living and dying because of these actions yeah um And, you know, it's, I honestly, I think that's why my favorite characters always end up being the side characters, because they're the ones that have to, like, stagger through the, through the major events, and they're the ones that are left to pick up the pieces if they survive. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And you've obviously put more thought into that than me, so good. (laughs) I mean, I'm a writer um, too, but not at the level you are. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it, Oh, dang, I had a thought. But basically, it's just um, that weightiness mm-hmm. is why I really appreciate when side characters are fully fleshed out. Sure. It's because you feel the gravity of the main events even more so. Like, I'm sorry, as bombastic as the action of a Michael Bay film is, it means practically nothing because you mm-hmm. do not care. Ultimately, honestly, you do not care about the characters, major or minor. That's true. I'll, I'll give you one Michael Bay film that I feel defies that. That is Armageddon. Okay, yeah, I, I felt <laughs> bad about Bruce Willis too. Uh, Armageddon is a great movie. I just uh-huh. I love it. But okay, but counterpoint, you feel bad about Bruce Willis, but how do you even? How do you feel about the other characters? Do you even remember that died? Do you even remember them? Not that I can I remember don't. their names, but you got Steve Buscemi, <laughs> and you got Ben uh, Affleck. <laughs> well, he doesn't die, but. You got the the Russian guy who plays Dieter Stark in Jurassic Park 2 who zaps the compies. Oh, I feel bad. I for, I'm forgetting that actor's name, but yeah. I don't know. No, I never watched Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Michael, oh, Michael Clark Duncan? Is that his name? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. I think so. Come on. It's, it's okay, I did feel I did feel bad about John Coffey dying. Yeah. Again. <laughs> that's that's green, a great movie. Oh, uh, I could not do Green Mile Minute. Uh, <laughs> I could not. <laughs> Not because it's a bad movie. It is an incredible movie, mm-hmm. but I would just, I would be crying 
too often, I think. <laughs> I, I would be rocking myself in a corner too often just because uh, that movie gets me. But anyway. Well, good. I'll I'll be sure to watch it someday. <laughs> it's on my list. I apologize. No, hey, I don't, again, I don't yep. see it's a bad thing. It's, it's an experience. It's yeah. an opportunity. So, Heart of Darkness. Yes. <laughs> I didn't spend $120,000 to have someone tell me to go read Jane Austen, and then I didn't for nothing. Because, <laughs> guys, oh, when it comes to this podcast, I am the resident expert on Heart of Darkness, Accurate. and I am by no means an expert. <laughs> um, I did have to study this novel um, during my junior year of college for my uh, critical theory class. It was led by the head of the English department hmm. at my university. Um, it was also one of the hardest classes I ever went through. Um, it didn't help that my, the head of the English department was a registered black belt. And oh. he, despite only being like five, seven had six, six aura about him. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, it's, it's the, it's the short ones that are fantastic yeah. in martial arts. Um, this guy was intimidating, um, mm. especially in this class. Um, we, like it was a long story short, we had to read this novel and then basically apply over a dozen various cl- critical literary theories of how you could interpret the novel. So it was basically amounted to rereading the novel several times. <laughs> and all the while, like, looking for different, like, implications through, like, if you're looking at it through different lenses. And that was rough. Because Heart of Darkness is by no means a leisure read. It is dense. <laughs> um, I understand its value, <clears throat> but I don't like it. Okay. That's like, fair. it is entirely possible to appreciate something for its value or its oh, yes. merit or its place and still dislike it. Sure. Just like it is still entirely possible to recognize some kind of media as being objectively bad or low quality and still enjoy it. Yes. Man, that is a skill that is lost today. Absolutely. All the um, people who hate Star Wars. Yeah. Sequels. No. Look, <laughs> look guys, I just, I just like Star Wars content. It might be bad Star Wars content, but I'm going to like it. I mean, uh, the only exception being the holiday special. That's, that's a different kind now of Now listen here. <laughs> it is don't get me wrong it is atrocious there is a small soft spot in my heart for it listen because... maybe you can swallow looking at mark hamill with enough makeup to drown a baby elephant <laughs> but like i a, can't looks like a, a green day member with all that eyeliner <laughs> he looks like a madame tussauds wax <laughs> depiction of mark of young mark hamill and not even a good one cgi mark hamill from uh mandalorian cgi mark hamill looks better than it looks more like mark hamill it looks more like mark hamill than that, that under all that makeup oh, also man. how dare you besmirch green day's name like that <laughs> i d- i said he looked like one of them i feel like that's a compliment to both of them <laughs> no <laughs> um so to fill in our listeners who might not be familiar Heart of Darkness is a novella by Polish-English novelist Joseph Conrad. It tells the story of Charles Marlowe, a sailor who takes on an assignment from a Belgian trading company as a steamship captain in the African interior. The novel is widely regarded as a critique of European colonial rule in Africa, while almost while also examining the themes of power dynamics and morality. Hmm. Um, and again, it absolutely does that. It is a scathing critique of colonialism mm-hmm. and capitalistic exploitation of nature and 
um, just of uh, native populations. Um, it still has some very problematic depictions of um, African people. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was a novel written in uh, at the end of the uh, 19th century by a white guy, so okay, yeah, no surprise yeah. there. Not full full education. <clears throat> yeah, to those cultures. Um, it's kind of like Huckleberry Finn. Um, is important in its placement, but man, it's still got some problematic language right. just from for the sure. nature of the time. For sure. Um, well, even one of my favorite, I mean, this is just kind of a side note that almost mm-hmm. connects somehow, but my, one of my favorite authors is Poe. And, uh, if yeah. you read some of his stuff, he got some very similar <laughs> stuff. We do not talk about the orangutan. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. When I read that, I'm not going to lie. I, because I was, I don't know, maybe 12. Uh-huh. And um, I, I couldn't understand what it was talking about because he split <laughs> it up, you know? It wasn't like the one word I knew from going to the Erie Zoo in Pennsylvania. It was like three words. I ran Utang. I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, man. I, guys, if you ever want a hilarious deep dive um, into the complexities and often savageries of the literary world <laughs> and the literary analysis community... Um, try Googling Tumblr post, we don't talk about the orangutan, Edgar Allan Poe. All right. Like, something along those lines. Oh, I'm gonna have um, to that up. I might have to save it for, since it's talking about a monkey, to boot, I might have to save that for a Patreon episode. Or is it talking about an ape? Um, so, I mean, it's very clearly orangutan. Um, in, Isn't orangutan I think, an ape? Murders in the Rue Morgue, I think, is yeah, the it short is. story. Little yeah, yeah. Um, he might use the term interchangeably just because... He's wrong. Um, <laughs> Sorry, um, just the bluntness. I know y'all can't see his face, but when he said it, he might use it incorrectly because he's wrong. It's just good. it was gold. It was gold. Ah, <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and the long story short, you know what? You can watch the Patreon episode. But the <laughs> short story is, when it comes to Edgar Allan Poe in literary circles, don't talk about the orangutan <laughs> unless you're really in for some entertainment. <laughs> But maybe pack a hard hat, because things might start get, getting thrown around. Um, oh, man. Oh, where even was I? Oh, right. Problematic representation. <laughs> you know. Dated representation. Um, I I honestly, I'm not going to reach for Heart of Darkness for Leisure Read, but mm-hmm. I do appreciate what it stands for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do appreciate it being used for a parallel, as a parallel um, with King Kong. Because especially this... Um, version, I think, really ups the critique of, like, sort of exploitation of nature. Yeah, for sure. And exploitation of, like, untouched, um, like, foreign lands. And you could definitely see parallels being drawn uh, from that to here. Yeah. And... Um, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, the, the 33 film... The, com- talking about the exploitation, because, you know, that's coming up a lot in this show, but... Um, uh-huh. In the 33 film, they don't address bringing Kong back as the the thing that was done incorrectly. <clears throat> like, it, that, yeah, they never point that out as the problem, really, of bringing Kong back from his island. It was just, he broke out. <laughs> and yeah, bad know, things happened was, after that. The problem was, we gotta talk to the guy who sold us these chrome steel shackles. <laughs> yeah. That was the problem. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's how they address it. It's I don't think anyone in thirty three came away. Well, maybe not. I won't say anyone, but I don't think people in thirty three were walking away thinking, "Man, that was so sad. What happened to that gorilla?" I think it was mm-hmm. just like, "Ah, scary monster. Good thing the mm-hmm. the good old 
U.S. of A. brought him down. Yep, no, that's that is absolutely the interpretation. <laughs> um, although, again, to his credit, you know who did cry when Kong fell when he watched it for, as a kid? Jackson. Peter Jackson. Yep. Like Just very clearly says that in behind the scenes material that in, like the first time he watched Thirty Three King Kong, he cried when Kong fell, and it's, that is so evident in the stylization of his film adaptation. And I could be wrong, but, you know, not that we're definitely this far into the movie, but I don't think Anne ever is not scared of Kong in the 33 film. Am I wrong there? Do I remember? I mean, maybe no, I'm no, no. It is, it is always Kong is a monster and she's terrified of him. I mean, okay. they That's got Faye Ray to play Anne Darrow, the scream queen of right. classic film. So, yeah, okay. So, yeah, so you definitely see the difference. And I think I did watch the uh, five-minute YouTube summary of heart of darkness before today sad so a boy <laughs> so i could and you definitely do get this sense of the parallels between between marlo and and denim mm-hmm. or you not did. denim as much but mm-hmm. yeah because um, marlo's realizing is... the 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 exploitation um honestly i think marlo mm-hmm. is better parallel to someone like preston honestly Preston, Driscoll, go. Jimmy. Yeah. Like, I think I that caliber of side character. And again, this is coming from someone who watched a five-minute YouTube video. But yeah. Well, you did just about as equal preparation as a lot of my classmates did <laughs> for Heart of Darkness, if not slightly more. Um, Good to know. I could definitely tell some, some of the people did not do their reading. Good to know. Um, and literally even if you do the reading it is always good to watch the five minute cliff notes or spark notes or whatever just in case something comes up that prevents you from doing it you at least have a quick and dirty breakdown (laughs) in your head um literally any text that i read in college i would always like literally read the synopsis on wikipedia or Mm -hmm. something else beforehand just in case i wasn't able to finish it i at least knew beginning middle and end and also so i could sort of track my progress as I was reading it. Like, okay, so I'm sure. up to this point, and it would help it, like, be a little bit more easy to stomach. Like, I I wasn't reading anything in college for enjoyment, so it's like, I don't care. I'm going to spoil everything. I'm breaking out all the big guns. <laughs> that makes sense. So <laughs> English uh, the, Major 101, guys. Yes. The takeaway from this episode is uh, read Heart of Darkness. But not... Or don't. not Yeah, not with a weak stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, the 1979 Francis Ford Coppola film Apocalypse Now... Mm-hmm. Um, is directly based off of Heart of Darkness, except okay. I think, it, if I remember correctly, that film is set through the lens of the Vietnam War instead. Gotcha. Well, I will maybe someday, when I have more free time, uh, look into those. Mm-hmm. You get to watch Marlon Brando looking probably the most vile he has ever looked on his film, and yeah, that includes mm-hmm. The Godfather. <laughs> Good to know. Um, all right. Do you have anything else for minute number 20, what are 27? Uh, nope, that is going to wrap it up for me, and I think this was 28. 28, holy <clears> cow. <throat> I'm not tired. I had the fewest amount of notes for this one, and yet it's so far it's the longest we've done this week. You're welcome. <laughs> what can I say except... Alright, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, Terry, can you come back tomorrow? I think so. Great, where Where do you think our, our listeners can find us? I don't know. Maybe Eighth Wonder Exposition Group oh, on Facebook. Are. That's always a good place to look. You we do will have a Patreon available at this point. We've talked about it so much. We like we gotta. <laughs> um, 
where we are going to be covering side content related to King Kong and similar Monster Bee movies, mostly circling around gargantuan primates. <laughs> um, and just other fun content. Um, as promised, I will do at least one thing dedicated to um, maybe a little more in-depth relation of King Kong to Heart of Darkness, and I will also be uh, finding and reading for narrative enjoyment that Tumblr post that I mentioned <laughs> on Poe, and that I did not mention the orangutan. Sounds, sounds good. All right. Um, then, yeah, that's all I got for this minute as well. All right. Well, guys, you will hear us when you hear us on the next episode of the King, King Kong, Kong Minute. Kong Minute. Bye, everyone. <laughs>